as we start, let me uh, start with a prayer before we get into our discussion over here. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and we're grateful for this gift of Scripture you've put before us in this letter of Galatians. Lord, it's just um, time and time again we read these issues in the Corinthian church and we think, oh, that happened so long ago. Uh, 55 A.D., that's, that's you know, almost 2,000 years ago. Things should be better by now. But, Lord, we see sin rear its ugly head time and time again. Slightly different disguise or slightly different outlook on it. But, uh, Lord, there's nothing new under the sun. And we are grateful that there's nothing new in your salvation that you provide for us. So thank you for that gift as we study this letter. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. So as we start, have you ever heard the phrase, uh, what does it mean to be clear as mud? Mm-hmm. Not, clear. <laughs> Not clear at all, right? Well, that's about clear as mud. Have you ever gotten Ikea instructions before? Uh, you know, from building furniture. I actually find Walmart's like instructions of build furniture worse. They don't put any words with it. It's just pictures. And I'm like, okay. I have have your kids do it exactly. I'm like, okay. Well, problem is, you gave me like 15 different types of screws, and you just put a picture of a screw that looks like every other screw right there. So how am I supposed to know? Um, And to be clear as mud, it's like it's not very clear at all. So I have. uh, I started with this because Paul is trying to clarify mud, especially. In particular, we're going through this chapter, and you've kind of seen Paul start with, "All right, uh, for those of you that that are say you're free in Christ, those who are uh, married, not married, those that you're single, those of you are widows," and he's now kind of finally getting to, "All right, now for the virgins, and for the rest of you, for the rest of this chapter." Um, Right before this, we we touched upon live as you were called, right? Talking about the satisfied in the situation in which you're called in. He's talking about whether you're a slave, whether you're uh, rich, whether you're this, whether you're that, uh, remember that it all comes back to Christ. Whether you're, you feel like you're here on the side of complete abstinence or in the side of complete sexual freedom is what he was addressing before, we have to meet somewhere in the middle. And then people were saying, okay, now that I'm saved by, by Christ, my life needs to be completely radically changed. I should no longer work. Um, I should no longer do uh, um, activities in the public. Um, I should leave my family and if I'm, if I'm Jewish, I should abandon my family because they're all wrong. And if I'm not, if I'm a Gentile Greek, maybe I should become Jewish because uh, Christianity is the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. So do I have to be Jewish first? And it's all, like I said, about clear as mud. And he's trying to say, everybody, calm down. Because when, I, when you hear that phrase, clear as mud, um, I always think of like the side of a riverbank. It's always really calm. And when it's calm, you can see to the bottom until someone comes in and they start kicking up all the silt. Right? He's like, you guys are muddy in the water in a way that you don't need to be. The, the keep it simple method, which I know has another way in which you can talk about it. So let's start over here. Um, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse 25. I'll read the first part, and I'll let other people do fill in. So verse 25, now concerning the betrothed, but I can't say that, betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. So he's touched on this a little bit, but he's talking about the, the betrothed. What is that meaning? Um, you get the idea. If you're betrothed for marriage, meaning like you're engaged, but that word actually in the Greek goes a little bit further back than that. He's saying to anyone who has an unconsummated marriage, meaning, well, maybe you're not... You're betrothed to someone down the line, maybe. doesn't mean that you're engaged to them now. That word translates a lot more literally to virgins. Now to the virgins that are out there. Those who are not married and not tied down, so to speak, or will in the future possibly be 
tied down or married. Um, so he has to those who are the virgins are the ones not attached now. Uh, stay as you are because of the present distress. And you can kind of see I outline what does present distress mean. Uh, it can mean a couple different things. First thing is this is written in 55 AD. They've been conversing letters back and forth. As you can see, Emperor Nero came into power in 54 AD. Does everyone know who Emperor Nero is? I will, fi I will fill you in very quickly. He was an emperor of Rome, you see, October 13th. Um, he was the one that was famous for throwing Christians in the gladiator pits and watching people eat, you know, watching them get eaten by lions as a form of entertainment. He would take Christians into his backyard and literally put them on a spit and torch them so people could watch them scream um, as a form of backyard entertainment as well. So you have Emperor Nero, so you could say, okay, it's pretty stressful to be a Christian right now. That's one example of present distress. Another one, this one's a little different. Claudius Dippin, 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 Dinipipis, uh, I can't say it, but you get the idea. That's why I wrote it. Uh, was responsible for a massive food shortage. So in court at, the, at that time, 51 AD, there was a lot of there was a little bit of back and forth, especially in Greece. In and you kind of see as far back, I think it's like 46 AD was like the most like where it started. That every two years there was especially a grain shortage because they were using it as a currency, essentially trade with with other towns. And it wasn't because there was a drought or anything, that they just weren't getting food. They were giving away too much. And then the poor people were the ones that were hungry, not the rich. So when you look back at the early church, what is it comprised of mostly? Not the rich and wealthy and powerful. There are some, but majority of them are the lower class, and especially as Paul referred to earlier in chapter 7, the slaves. You know, if you are a slave, he says, even stay as you are. You know, but if you see if you have an opportunity for freedom, go ahead and seek. But realize your slavery isn't to man, but your slavery is to Christ, and you're free in Christ as well. But uh, when he's addressing and he's writing this letter to this church, it's mostly a lower class who probably pretty recently were very hungry. And conceptually speaking, you would say it's a lot easier for me as a single man to find food for myself than it is if I have a wife and three children. For the sake of the present distress, he says, it would be good for you to remain as you are. So you kind of get the idea, well, because it almost seems contradicted. Contradictive, is that a word? Contradicting is probably an actual word. That Paul's saying, it's good to be single, and you, should go, you all should be like as I am, compared to the rest of Scripture saying marriage is a, is a wonderful state to be in. You know, woe is to the man who doesn't have someone else to lift him up, you know. Adam was uh, found in need of a helper, so God created him a helper that was suitable for him. We have all these wonderful, beautiful pictures of marriage throughout Scripture. And then Paul's saying, you know, you should be single. And you're like, well, one of these parts can't be true, and which part are we going to cut out? When you understand circumstantially what Paul's saying, you kind of get a better realization of why that advice is there. Oh, yeah, it'd be really hard for me to feed my children if, I can, if I'm dying of starvation myself. So, for the sake of this. But yet, Paul always says, for the sake of. And you can tell earlier, here he says, I have no command from the Lord. I give my judgment as one who has the Holy Spirit. Is essentially what he's saying. Any questions on that? I don't want to say this section's easy, but Paul's pretty clear as he's like, alright, we're going to stop kicking up the silt, and we're going to start to simplify things pretty quickly. Let's go to the next section. If someone could read 28 through 31 for me. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. 
What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as they do not. Those who mourn, as if they did not. Those who are happy, as if they were not. Mm -hmm. Those who buy something, as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world, as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. Thank you. And this section kind of continues a bit in 30 through 35, but we'll get that in a moment. So worldly troubles. He says, because of these worldly troubles and the present distresses, why is, would he say that? Consider what we just read, and then in 33 through 35, let me tell you what this says over here. Na, 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 na. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things and how to please her husband. When you look at verse 29, it's talking about the end times. And he, he says this a few times, live as blank. Have you, um, have you ever been at, you, this is a hypothetical question that people ask all the time. What would you do if you were living as if it was the end of the world? If the world was going to end tomorrow, what would you do? What are things people say? Give me, give me some examples. Pray. Probably, I, would, I would hope you would pray. Yes. Okay. They'll spend more time with their family. People would spend more time with their family. Yeah. Or, or do things that they've, you know, that they have always dreamed about doing. Exactly. And, yeah. And put off, you know, those those kinds of uh, aspirations. Mm-hmm. Some some uh, idea would be like if you live as if you knew when the last day of the world would be. Let's say it's a year from now. Mm-hmm. People are like, okay, I know the Lord has given me the gift of seeing the future, and I know what day the world's going to end. <coughs> Most people say, well, I would live a wild and reckless life. I would finally go skydiving. I would finally go to Mexico. I would finally go and do this. I would rack up all the money on my credit cards doing whatever I wanted because I knew I wouldn't have to pay it back. Right? <laughs> and not, th- not that that's what I would do, and not that's what any of you would do, but you can kind of see how that's a popular answer. Right. right? Paul's saying, as, live as if there would be no more mourning. When you mourn, live as if there was going to be no more mourning. Live as if, uh, when you have joy, that there will be no more joy. Live as if this world will pass away. And he's telling you, like, hey, guess what? Because it will, right? Jesus tells us this world, does he say transient up here? Oh, there, don't become too, I wrote this. Do not become too absorbed in this transient existence. So, uh, oh, good. Can someone look up Matthew 24 for me and someone else, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5? Let's have that half can do Matthew 5 and this half can do uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And someone has it, just let me know. (laughs) Thessalonians. Oh, great. Could you read Thessalonians out loud for us? I got Thessalonians too. Well, that's 2 Thessalonians. It doesn't have a fifth chapter. 1 Thessalonians 5. 5 verses yeah. 1 through 11, please. Oh, okay. Oh, I was on the wrong page. Okay. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write you. For you know well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. 
But you brothers are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So, what, so then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Thank you. So some of the keys you hear in that are, are what? Control. Control. He talks a lot about Focus. people being asleep and awake, right? He says, but you are awake. What's another way of saying you are awake? Huh? You're alert in the same sense. We have ignorance and we have, uh, I, I don't know, what's the opposite of ignorance? Knowing, realization, mm-hmm. right? Those of those who, are, who are ignorant, do not know of the Lord, those are the ones that are asleep. You're no longer asleep. You're awake. And... Dare I say it like this? Because you're awake, you're held to a different standard. Because you know. And dare I say it like this? Because you know better. Right? right? That's what Paul's talking about. It's the same thing you have to say to either children or students or even people at work that are like coming into your new work situation. Come on, man. You know better. <laughs> when you do know better. But there's a time or a point at which you didn't. Right? Oh, you're, you're having someone else punch you in early? Come on, you know better. But at one point you didn't because someone said, hey, you know, why don't I just punch you in and, and you'll just show up. Oh, you could do that? Oh, yeah, sure, I'll do that for you. Oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that was bad. <laughs> oh, but now you know better. And that's what Paul's saying. You're held to a different standard because you know better. He's mentioned that in Corinthians, that same idea too. You're, you're no longer asleep, you're now awake. So there's a point of realization with that. There was there was one more one more note I had on that. It only cut on, of course. I, oh no, I'm over here. I only heard it as you were reading it, Gina. Do you remember what it was? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you were thinking. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Self, you know better. Self control. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to the Matthew part. Okay. Oh, thief in the night. Sorry, I remember. Thief in the night. No longer act as if you didn't know. And that's what the surprise is, because Jesus is about to mention that as well. Um, it doesn't... Uh, hmm. I'm going to say it like this, even though I don't mean exactly what the words say. I, I often tell people, it doesn't matter what day the world's going to end. It doesn't matter what day the Lord comes back. It does, because it's wonderful. But in the same sense, it doesn't, because it's not like, if you knew, now do you need to start behaving? Now do you need to have faith? It, like, is that why you need to know? Or, as Paul's saying here, why don't you just live as if you're awake? Because you are. So it shouldn't matter. It, it, and like I think he says here, it shouldn't come as a surprise like a thief in the night. It should always be expected. Because you're always living as if. And it's not the wild with credit cards and you're never going to pay it back kind of living. <laughs> it's what you said before. It's praying. It's caring for others. It's being with your family. Showing love and tenderness. Like, live as if. You're awake. So then it's never a surprise. And then Matthew 25. Or is it 24? 24, sorry. 24. 
But concerning the, that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Mm -hmm. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the thief the night was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at, a, at an hour you do not expect. Thank you. So you hear Jesus echo the same exact thing, right? So it's not like, and yet, what I think is the beauty behind this is I always have to give the realization, this gospel wasn't written yet when Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians and when he wrote Corinthians. The first gospel is not recorded as written until, and it's Mark in 70 AD. That's, that's 15 years later. You know, so some of this stuff may be passed down through word of mouth for sure, but can't you just kind of also just get the irony of how divine scripture is that those two thoughts and from separate mouths and separate brains make it into the same book and how close they are. Right? Isn't that just so cool? So Jesus is saying, hey, same thing. Live as if you're awake. Because I'm here, and this is Jesus speaking, I'm here, so I know you know better. Because I'm telling you everything. Live as if you're awake. You know, if the master knew what hour, it's given like that practical example. If the master knew when the thief was coming, don't you, it'd be like home alone. Right? And they'd set up like the tar stairs and the nails and the, the paint can. You know, they would know and they would set up all these things. And a house would never be broken into. But you know what? People when their house is broken into don't know when the thief's coming. That's the thing. And it's not that Jesus is going to come and steal something from you, but it will be a surprise. But it won't be if you're always awake and you're living as though you're awake. If you're living as though with the idea Jesus is going to, you know, he's coming back someday, or my house may get robbed sometime. <coughs> I would live as if my, ho my house might get robbed, so I'll put up security and I'll lock my windows and I'll lock my doors as if there would be a day when a thief might try to rob my house. In the same sense, you know, I might as well live as a good Christian in the way that Christ taught me to love others as he's loved me because one day he's going to show up and it may be tomorrow. It may be a year from now. It may never happen in my lifetime, but there will be a day and it'll come and I don't, uh, it shouldn't be a surprise. Right. It's kind of what Paul's saying and what Jesus is saying. It shouldn't be a surprise because you've been living as awake. For the, and as Paul emphasizes this point here, for the present form of this world is passing away. What does that mean? You kind of get the idea of the context of it all, right? Well, yeah. Well, and it's, it's, it, it's like history repeats itself. Uh -huh. Things, you know, things that are going on right now, uh, you know, certainly that's not going on today. Mm -hmm. And, you know, things that go on now, they didn't go on like 50 years ago. Yeah, I know. But... Mm -hmm. It's you always have people saying, "Oh, the world is coming to an end," and and it's mm -hmm. you know that 
it really isn't until God says it is. Yeah. You know what it, I'm saying? it is and it isn't, right? Because right. I got to get up and I got to go to work tomorrow. That's and if I don't get my work done, you know, if I if I work at Starbucks and I don't go and make lattes uh, for someone who needs a latte to start their day, I don't make any money and then I can't pay rent. Well, I hope Jesus comes back soon because I'd rather not make lattes. And <laughs> that's, not, that's not the right reason to live that way. In the same sense, though, something happened in 33 A.D. and about 37 A.D. And it was what? The, the ministry of Jesus. And then his death. And you know what? Everything in the Old Testament up to that point, and everything we read in the New Testament right there, it's like, well, the, the serpent's head is crushed. And we're told in Revelation, you know, God is going to destroy the world and remake it. It's like, uh, dare I say it like this, Paul's saying, we're in the end game now. This world is transient. It's passing away. This world will end, so then a new one will begin. And and the, the big catalyst for it wasn't just Adam and Eve's fall. It was the ministry of Jesus Christ. And it's happened. Guys, we're in the end game now and it can happen any day. Is what he's trying to highlight. We're no longer waiting for the Messiah that will show us that the end times are coming. The Messiah has come and now we're in this end game. I know it sounds like really like event horizon kind of Armageddon stuff. I don't mean for it to, even though it does. But Paul's trying to say, hey, don't... Uh, and you'll see it a lot in this next section, like, don't live so focused on what is so temporary. Right. That's what he's trying to get to. But didn't they think he was going to be coming back soon at that time? Sure. So there are some people that were living, it's probably those in the very opening of the chapter when he said there are those who follow me, follow Cephas, follow Apollos, and those who follow Christ, right? Which I say that in quotations because everyone follows Christ, but they were kind of living this Armageddon lifestyle where it's like, hey, you know, we're just waiting, and, the, and he even addresses questions of what happens in this time from when Jesus came and someone dies and Christ hasn't come back yet. Yeah. Are they lost forever? And he's like, well, okay. Um, Christ's return doesn't mean tomorrow. It could mean tomorrow. Obviously, it didn't. Uh, <laughs> but it can continue there. But yes, some people thought, okay, if Jesus said he's coming back, that means I'll see it. Because this is 50... Uh, 54 AD, uh, you know, 20 some years, no, not even, like 15 years ago, um, Christ was here. So it should be any day now. I've been waiting 15 years. When's he going to show up? Let's go, let's go to the next session. This is going to open up a little bit here. So 32 through 35. Someone read that for me. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affair, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Okay. So the key behind this entire section and this entire chapter is really in that verse 35. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion for the Lord. So this is the, it's from our... Uh, it says AC, but it's the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. 
over here. So this is written by Philip Melanchthon, but approved by Martin Luther, that kind of stuff. Um, Neither Christ nor Paul praise virginity, because that's what he means by betrothed over here, because it justifies, meaning you're not, that's, your virginity isn't what saves you, like other religions might teach. It's not because of you being pure that you will be saved by Jesus, but because it is a freer, it is freer and less distracted by domestic occupants and praying, teaching, and serving. So when you look at all this and you kind of focus that in on verse 35, what Paul's saying is um, don't let your focus be um, distracted. It's far more easy for you to become ensnared in idolatry that your devotion so much should be on the Lord your God as your number one. And I've mentioned it many times. Children and marriage in particular, your spouse and kids can oftentimes be the things that become idols, career being the other one. Um, we can often take our career, children, or our, our spouse, and we rank them above God. And it's like, okay, these are the most important things in my life um, because I'm the, the man of the house or I'm the, I'm the one with my career needs to go somewhere because uh, I'm a self-made person. We get this idea and we flip all these things above devotion to God. And Paul's telling you how crucial your devotion to God is, especially in these times that are so difficult and distressing. He's saying, hey, um, a woman that is married, will, her, her concentration will be on keeping her husband happy rather than on her devotion for the Lord. If that's you, it is better for you to remain unmarried and not idolize your husband above God. Does that make sense? When you break this down in the time and in the context, you get this idea of divided. You know, Jesus talks about this in particular with the Pharisees. One cannot love God. Oh, one can love God through uh, loving one's spouse, but if these things are in conflict, one cannot serve two masters, right? And and Jesus is, it's amazing that it's a, he says, narrow is the, the path of righteousness, wide is the path of destruction. Yet, even though it all flows through Jesus, it's the most free passage. You know, it's kind of a bizarre thing. It's made for everyone. Yet, there are very few things that Jesus is very cut and dry about. And this is one of them. You can't serve two masters. You can't obey sin and be chained to sin, and you can't be a part of me. If you rank anything else above God, you're serving that other master. And he talks about money in there in particular. Um, Oh, and I I highlighted it right over here. So, I went to Concordia, Chicago, and I see this. The desire to please the Lord should be a Christian's overriding concern, whether you're married or single. Married or single. And I consider Concordia and the MRS degree. I, I didn't know what this meant. So I'm in Concordia and, uh, you know, a new Christian and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm telling people like, oh, what's your major and things like that. And telling them what I am. And the, someone comes up to me like, oh, yeah, you know, she, she says she's here for this, but she's really here for an MRS degree. I'm like, oh, master's in I don't know, recreational science? Like, I know, I'm like, I, I, no, I couldn't get, I couldn't get the clue. And if, if you don't know what this means and you're clueless, that's okay. An MRS degree, it's a Mrs. degree, meaning they went to college to find a husband. And I was like, oh, <laughs> but it's that similar idea. I came here with an ulterior motive, right? I, I became married to this man for an ulterior motive. I came to college for an ulterior motive, not to achieve a degree, but to, Maybe it's snag a husband or whatever you want to say. Uh, whether single or married, Paul's saying, everything rides on, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay restraint upon you. You can be married if you want to. But I want you to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And in, in his position, what he's seeing is like, well, you know, if, 
if you're an MRS degree, your, your focus is wrong. Mm -hmm. Marriage can happen, and relationships can happen. And this is after he said, you know, unequally yoked, and now I'm talking to the virgins, and I'm talking to the widows, and things like that. All of it goes back to the same point. I want your undivided and un, um, completely focused attention on being devoted to the Lord, especially in times that have such trouble. Our, um, we, don't, we obviously don't have the same struggles as like, you know, I'm going to throw Dylan in the gladiator pit tomorrow and we'll watch him get eaten. Like we don't have those struggles uh, in the same way. That doesn't mean like you're, we're less Christians or less people, um, but the, the temptations are often very different. For us, they didn't have internet back then, you know, and there's the wilds of that. There's uh, uh, social structures now that they didn't have even back then. There are different temptations that are outside of even just being married to somebody that will want to remove your focus and take your undivided attention away from the Lord. And I think, we're, oh man, we're going to put it on the record. We're going to finish early, but I won't let you go. <laughs> no, we'll keep talking. Uh, 36 through 40. This is kind of his closing statements over here. Thank you. If anyone is worried that he may not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. Thank you. I like how your, your translation will literally say virgin, right? It's right. like, yeah, it's to, toward the virgin, right? And mine's ESV, which, is, I don't know, it's trying to sound more I don't know, flowery, maybe, but it's outright like, hey, to the virgin, this and that. As we look, kind of, and I'll talk about multiple interpretations of this. Um, people will look at this and be like, is it, the less, is it about taking the lesser of two evils? Is it, um, well, you know, I can't control myself, so I guess I'll... Isn't that funny? Could you imagine that being the reason that you, like, ask someone to get married? Hey, you know, I just can't seem to control myself around you, <laughs> so why don't we get married? <laughs> well, the fact is, yeah. that, that, that would be good enough for some girl. Well, well, but, well and Paul, and, but, oh, okay, but yeah. what's Paul saying here? Paul saying, well then, don't sin and get married. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. uh. Hey, it's, it's better to marry than to burn. That's in the scripture. Marry than to burn, yeah. yeah. So, and, and the whole reason he's saying, he, this all goes back to something he said in chapter 6. I wish you were all more like me. And when he said that, if, if you remember or if you weren't here, the, the reason he said that was, I wish you all, not, not that you had to be like him and be... Um, you know, an unmarried um, roaming around guy, he said, I wish you just had self-control. That's what he addresses, and that's what this gets back to. I wish you were more like me, that you had self-control, but since you know you don't have self-control, you might as well get married. You're not sinning. It's okay. If you have self-control, in these present times with the present distresses, 
and you can manage to hold yourself down and not sin because of it, mm. all the better. So when you kind of get all this, you're like, oh, in the ebbs and flows, I get it. You know, even Jesus says, woe to the woman that is pregnant in those, those last days for those who don't believe, right? For to her, it'll, it'll feel like a burden. Yet we're told all the time how great a blessing childbirth is throughout Scripture. It's all, um, I, I, I say this in a good way, it's all s- circumstantial. Depends on the circumstance. If you're running to the hills and because your town's been set ablaze and, and the, the world is being judged and you're pregnant and you're not a believer, woe to you! That, that's a terrible time. What horrible timing. That's sad. Same thing here. This is a present distress of worldly trouble. Then, whether it's the food shortage, whether it's a time of Emperor Nero, uh, just being an early Christian and being persecuted, this is a hard time to be married and have a family and live as a Christian. Yeah. Very hard. Yeah, there's a movie um, that's based off of a book, and the name of it has a title. I think it's called Silence. Have you heard of this? It's about two monks that are, that are captured. Man, I'm going to brutalize this. Um, Andrew Garfield's in it. Um, but they're two monks and they're captured and they're, they're held in prison. And, gosh, I want to say it's like the Vietnam War. It's a war where they are somewhere else and they say, hey, to these two priests, we will let you go. And it's like a velvet painting of Jesus, like, like, a, like a Las Vegas velvet portrait of Jesus. And it's like, if you walk and step and renounce your God on this portrait, we will let you go free. And they refuse. And the move's about their struggle with their faith and with denying Christ, and if they deny Christ, they'll be let go. Um, and you have to consider there's two arguments to that. One is kind of the argument I go to. I'm like, hold on. That's not Jesus. That is a velvet, you know, cheap recopy made of some random stuff. In one circumstance, I would say, oh, yeah. Like, if they just tell you to, like, walk on this portrait of Jesus that's made from, like, you know, some weird, cheesy velvet carpet, walk all over it. It's, it doesn't matter. That's not Jesus. Right. As long as it doesn't damage your faith. Now, I'm, I put a circumstance on it. As long as it doesn't damage your faith, it's just a velvet picture. But what if it would? Well, then, it may just be a velvet portrait. Don't idolize a velvet portrait. But in the same sense, like, well, maybe you do need to rethink it. Are you renouncing your faith by, by saying, well... You know, the purpose for me to get out of here, I got a wife and kids at home, and I need—I I, want—I need to make sure they're fed. Lord, I don't believe this, but I'm going to say the words so I can get out of there and take care of these people you've given to me. Paul would say, "Yeah, go ahead. It's just words. Uh, it's not a binding contract. Go ahead and, and do it." But it's like you know, I couldn't let those words escape my mouth without it creating some—not just doubt, but but yeah. damaging my faith. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where it's like, okay, well then that's more than words, and and now different steps need to be taken. That makes sense. Gosh, I think the movie's called Silence. Check it, it out. Is it? Okay. 2016, Martin <laughs> There you go. It's based off a book, though. The book's better, if you need to know. They, 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 they cut a lot of the, the Jesus stuff out of the movie. Like they do, like they do with most movies. <laughs> right? It's funny. If you read A Christmas Carol, do you know how much Christian imagery and stuff is in the, the little novella that they never put in any movie? For example, like Scrooge's Fireplace has tiles in it that are scenes from Bible stories, and they describe it in the in this little mm-hmm. short book. I'm I'm reading this book. I'm like, I never knew that. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah your screenplays are only about twenty five percent of the length. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a, yeah. maybe maybe that's not the exact fraction, but it's vastly shorter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, reading is a reading is the fastest way to learn because you can zip through all kinds of text. It's but amazing, yeah, when yeah. you start putting it in images and language yeah. and try to reflect all those details you're talking about. There's not enough time it takes a minute, to do yeah. all, all that. Cut so yeah, that's out. that's why reading is probably a better way to, <laughs> to, I mean, to enjoy something. And I, I've yeah, heard that about oh, countless yeah. movies, mm -hmm. all the books. Like Forrest Gump, this this friend of mine told I didn't even know it was a book. I didn't know he said book. the book's way better than the movie. The movie was great. Yeah. <laughs> Shawshank Redemption's a book. I haven't read the book, but I yeah. loved the movie. Yeah. Right. It's another one of those. So when you get some time, you know, <laughs> read the book. <laughs> I will. Right. Last part on this verse 40, and then we'll be done. Yet in my judgment, she is happy to remain as she is, and I think I too, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Did I say that right? I did. Uh, verse 40, we're going back to this phrase. Now that you know better. Right? That's not what he says over here, but I'm, I'm, I'm inferring it from here. Yet, in my judgment, she is happier to remain as she is, right? So we're going back to why is Paul's earlier advice about mixed faith marriage? Um, what was Paul's? Oh, what was his earlier advice and why is it different than here, right? So Paul said about a mixed faith marriage, like, okay, um, remain, remain as you are. Stay in that marriage um, as long as they don't mind that you're a believer, right? right? right. If they leave, let them go. Right. It doesn't matter. Uh, as we're getting to this idea about virgins, it's better for you not to be married and remain as you are. Yet, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. So he's talking about widower again. I'm gonna, I'll confess. I don't remember why I wrote this question. But uh, as we get... It seems more tied to verse 39. It uh, Probably, huh? Oh, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whomever she wishes. On oh, only in the Lord. Thank you. That's why it's in there. That section, only in the Lord. Here's why the advice is different. That's that key phrase, only in the Lord. If you want to get married, go ahead and be married again. Only in the Lord. Why? Because you know better now. When you were in a mixed faith marriage, um, you didn't know better because you just came to Jesus and he doesn't remember and you remember. But if he dies, um, don't go marry somebody else that's not of a Christian faith. Mm -hmm. Is what he's getting at. Only in the Lord. Now that you know better, now that you've been awakened, now that you're no longer a sleeper. And that theme's going to carry a lot throughout 1 Corinthians now. Now that you're awake, you, it seems like I'm putting you to a different standard, and it's because I am. Because before you didn't know any better, and now you do. So live this way. Yeah, but that's the way you are with your kids, too. I well, mean, when they're really young, you don't expect them to be able to do stuff that they're going to be able to do when they're much older. It's yeah. just that as you... As you grow, as you mm -hmm. uh, mature, yep. then yes. You, you would let your one-year-old suck his thumb. You wouldn't let your 41-year-old suck his thumb, right? Because <laughs> <So laughs> <laughs> <laughs> so well, why would you say that? Because you know I better. I always have a good reason because <laughs> yeah. I have the wrong name. There you go. Yeah, fair. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's that same reason. Now that you know better, back then you didn't. And you, you're kind of tolerant of certain things until they know better, right? And Paul's saying, we were tolerant of these things, but now you know better. So keep that in mind. And that'll be a theme that carries us through. Thank you, Dylan, for, for reading the verse before that. That's what it meant. <laughs> Anything else? Questions, comments, concerns?
We get to food offered to idols. Now they're getting to the, as we said, this letter's written for two reasons. One, um, there's division in the church. Number two, here's all your other questions. You'll never guess what the next question's about. Food offered to idols, right? And then we're going to get into, um, you know, Paul surrendering his rights. We're going to get to the idea of adiaphora that we talked about before. Even though I'm free to do this, I will deny myself so my, my brother doesn't stumble. Then what we start that getting word to again? Adi- adiaphora. And that's why. E I A P H O R A. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm like uh, Alpha. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. And then uh, warning against idolatry. We'll get to that. What does it mean to have idols? And then we start getting to communion practices after that. So, like I said, this, what's unique about this letter is there's all these personal issues. Now we're getting to very practical stuff. Um, kind of, um, I don't want to say a list of do's and don'ts, but in a similar sense, yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, now that you're awake, live this way, not the way you did when you were asleep, and here's what it looks like. So we'll start talking about that. Let's wrap up with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this letter. And Lord, we ask you, um, as we confess, there are often times in our life where we put other things above you. We idolize, uh, it could be career, it could be spouse, it could be children, it could be a long list of anything. But Lord, when it comes down to it, we ask you to soften our hearts and to push those things away because we want you to be number one in our lives. Help us with our devotion to you to live as Christians, as other people will know us by our love, not just towards them, but the Lord that you, the love that you gave to us. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your instruction. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. Amen.